0: Listening to Rattle and Pedal, Diversion Thoughts on Marketing and Growing Professional Services Firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay.
1: So, Jeff, you have brought us another wonderful guest today. I'm really, really excited to have Shane on. So, I'm just going to go cut right to the chase. So, Shane Jackson is an analyst at Gartner for sales enablement and sales effectiveness. And we invited him, and we invited Gartner, of course. Really to talk to us about sales training. That's really the end game here is to talk about, you know, as a as a firm leader, a practice leader, if you want to invest in sales training, what what does that look like? What should you be thinking about? So, Shane, welcome to Rattle and Pedal. Just you wanna just give us a short introduction to you and your background, and then we're gonna dive into this topic with force. Sure. (laughs) No,
2: Um, I'm I'm really happy to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. As you mentioned, I'm an analyst at Gartner. I've been here for about three years. Before that, I was a sales enablement leader for a couple of smaller companies where I got to build out the program from scratch. So building out sales enablement from scratch for a small, fast growing company is an adventure in itself, trust me. And before that, I spent 20 years at EMC Corporation. And so when I talk about my history, I kind of talk about how I grew up at EMC, right? You know, mid-90s, fast-growing IT infrastructure company. And, you know, I joined in to tell marketing, thinking like, all right, well, I'm going to go into sales. That's my path, because what else can you do with a psychology degree, right, (laughs) if you don't want to be a psychologist? (laughs) And, you know, kind of found that I actually liked supporting the sales team more than actually being a salesperson. So I kind of followed this path that supported salespeople and sales organizations throughout my career going from telemarketing to sales support as a corporate systems engineer, getting really into the technology. I worked with channel partners for a number of years and then found a role in what was called sales productivity back then. And that kind of started my path, this path to sales enablement. And here I am at Gartner so many years later.
1: We need to level set for a second, Jeff. And I just realized this. We didn't even talk about this in the setup. We should define sales enablement. What is sales enablement? Because I, I think, especially in a lot of professional services firms, some of them are averse to the word sales, right? They're afraid of the word sales. Ah, we don't sell anything. And you know, some of them are probably like, well, what's enablement? Do, do you mind just humoring us, like defining that term for a second?
2: No, of course. It's a great question. And it's something that we've... Like we don't say to do sales nailing, you must do A, B, C, D, and E. And if, you, if you're if you missing one of those components, you're not doing sales name. We don't say that. Sales name is different for every company, but it usually consists of some mix of the following, right? So it would include sales training, sales communications. So communications to sellers, sales tools. In many cases, it will include CRM or we're seeing more and more the um, hiring best practices. So trying to get into how to hire the best people. And as we kind of see sales enablement evolve, it's, it's come to include more and more groups besides just sellers. So it may include SDRs or customer success teams. So we're seeing that evolve into more of a revenue focus. So now we're seeing some teams actually being built out as revenue enablement teams, slightly different than sales enablement teams because they have a larger focus and involve more groups, both in terms of the production of the content and also the audience that they're working with.
3: We had Scott Brinker on a couple of weeks ago, Chief MarTech. We were talking about MarTech versus sales tech and how... You know, this technology is really just enabling a different type of conversation and moving marketing, sales, and delivery all simultaneously together at that point of relationship building. In the way you just described it, it just reinforces that phenomenon. I think it's fascinating to watch. The technology aspect of sales is
2: growing so fast, so much so that we actually just started a new area of focus within our practice on revenue technology. That covers, obviously, sales operations pieces. It covers the enabling pieces and also the engagement, sales engagement pieces as well. There's all different aspects of revenue technology that we're seeing emerge that are really exciting to watch.
3: I want to come back to that because I think that there's something really interesting developing there, but I don't want to take us off track just yet. That's Jason's we have to be job. on
1: track before we go off track, right? <laughs> so, we, so we can't we can't go off track before we even leave the station. So sales training. We we set this up as sales training, and I think we let's let's jump into that topic. Jeff, where do you want to start on that actually? I want to start talking to Shane as a psychologist. Oh. Because because I feel
3: like I'm of two minds here when it comes to sales training, because I've been through quite a few fairly good sales training. Xerox, which shows how old I am, and Miller Hyman in the Challenger sale. And I've been a part of sales training You know, at some pretty good sized firms with, with talented people. And I loved going through the training and I think I'm a, so much a better marketer and a salesperson as a, re- a result of that. But the other part of me says, man, we took all these consultants offline for two days and they got all excited about doing sales training. And then within 30 days, they had forgotten everything that they were taught. <laughs> and we, I don't know that you we saw any lift that's attributable, but when I look at my own experience, I think, man, I feel like I was more effective. So I, I think I come with a bias towards this that Shane, maybe you could dispel.
2: That's something we talk to clients about all the time at Gartner. <laughs> you know, moving from this idea of, of having this training event, and we're all going to put you in a room, and this training event can be a new sales process, a new product, a sales kickoff event, right? Especially with sales kickoff events. And the mentality is, as a sales leader, I need to get all this information into the brains of my sellers for the next two days. Let's start. And I'm sure some of the ones that you were involved in Jeff were, hey, prepare to drink from a fire hose, right? Sit down, buckle up, we're going to drink. That's the worst thing you want to hear when you're about to train people, right? <laughs> we're going to overwhelm you with information. Great. What am I going to do with that? Yeah, um, so, how's that going to help me? Right. So instead, we, we urge people to, to think through all the different training modalities we have today. What really needs to be delivered in person, synchronously, versus what can be delivered as like a, a sit and listen part? That is, I'm going to do this on my own time. And as a sales leader or a sales person, you're going to make sure that, that that sit and listen part, that you're going to have the team do asynchronously, is really fine-tuned to be just what has to get expressed without discussion. right? So that's the asynchronous part of the sit and listen, kind of here's new information for you. Where the learning really happens is with the interactions and the applying of the information. A lot of times it's, let me tell you what you need to know, let me show you how it works, then let me have you tell it back to me, then why don't you show me how it works, and then go out and and do it in real life. So that idea of having a more practical approach to learning is really where we're seeing a lot of success in terms of of having longer retention of what's being taught. This application can come in the form of exercises, uh, reinforcement training, reinforcement, like quiz-based training, if you want to, even coaching, obviously. Coaching plays a huge role in this. So we're looking, turning it less as a just-in-case kind of thing to being more just-in-time. So we can now take the training and chunk it into little pieces. And now if I've planted the seed that, all right, this information exists in the brains of all the sellers as like, I know where to go for more information, then now we can actually go and have them do it just before they need it or in preparation for a sales call.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I, I, I love everything you just said. And Jeff, what struck me was, is it's mindset shift where training was buying an experience, an event, a coach to come in and work with your team for a day. And now it's buying more of a relationship, perhaps, where it's, I think about my own experiences. I went through one of Blair's programs, Jeff, and, when, and the way he delivered his program was it was like ten weeks over the course of you know once a week for ten weeks, and there was exercises every week, and there was role playing, and then there was reflection and conversation and real world application, and bring that real world application back and talk about that application. So it, it sounds like we're we're in the midst of, of or maybe the tail end. Of, maybe this has been going on forever, but but where, where sales training is evolving or has evolved a lot.
2: It really has evolved. We've always had the idea of practicing. You know, in in sales training, right? It wasn't just all sit and listen. But this idea now where we have people remotely, we know we have to break things into smaller chunks because someone can't sit in front of their computer for eight hours like they would in a class, right? So before the pandemic, most of our sales training vendors in the Magic Quadrant would do live in-person classes for two days or so. Um, Of course, there was some asynchronous training, but it was primarily live in-person. Now, with the pandemic... There's a big shift to doing it all remotely or most of it remotely. And so when they do it remotely, they can have smaller chunks. And then in between those chunks, there's some homework. And let's go and apply this and apply that and come back and discuss what you learned from it.
1: So I'm curious, before we get too far along... Tell us about some of your, like, maybe early sales training experiences. Like, you know, because you, you, you worked inside EMC, you said, for 20 years. So I want you to reflect on some of those early experiences versus what you're seeing in the marketplace now, just out of curiosity more than anything. like yeah. How have you seen it change?
2: So I remember, you know, our best practice at the time was to do these sales accreditation trainings quarterly. So it would be an hour and a half, two hours of training we built out each quarter for all sellers in a variety of roles to, to consume. And initially it was just, you know, there's one track and everyone takes that track, whether you're a salesperson for the backup and recovery market or person selling primary storage. And then it evolved into being different roles, again, still these 90 minute accreditation courses. And it, it'd be, you know, 10 minutes per course roughly, but it was all sit and listen. And to now where we are today, many years later, there's still this aspect of having information out there is valuable, but it's much more about how can we deliver it in a way that makes it more relevant to the seller, right? Yeah. We know that if, if training is built out to be applicable, accessible, immediately relevant, and easy to find, then it's going to be really valuable for the seller. And so when we talk about building training And, you know, kind of the aspects behind that, it's really important to think about, you know, what does a seller really need to know? And is it being put in in terms that they can understand that's written for them? Like, what's in it for me as a seller? As opposed to, well, I'm the marketing guy for this product. And here's how I talk to my clients. Here's how I talk to our our clients about it. Here's how I want you to talk to clients about it. As opposed to (laughs) an actual seller saying, yeah, that doesn't work at all. Let's put it in seller speak. (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh man, I didn't realize that. Man, those marketers—we do tend to do that, don't we? If you guys just told the story, right? Gads. <laughs> so, in in terms of the evolution, one of the things that really struck me right before Corn Ferry bought Miller Hyman, I heard the CEO of of Miller Hyman talking about how they were incorporating much more technology into their methodology, and in particular, AI, and how AI was not just informing sales, but directing sales. Do you have some insight to where where that is and where that's going? Is Corn Fairy still developing that, or other vendors yeah. and sales training people? So AI is
2: definitely something we've seen be a differentiator with these different sales training companies. There's so much that you can take advantage of from an AI perspective from training, right? In terms of identifying different behaviors from conversation intelligence to prompting sellers to take certain training because of what they're doing in terms of, of their sales activities being tracked in the CRM. There's tons of benefits there with artificial intelligence. And some companies are definitely leveraging that more than others. And when we think of AI, it's definitely a differentiator.
1: So let's talk about the magic quadrant. You developed, I believe, and, re- and released the first magic quadrant for sales training last year. And you just released the most recent one Uh, two weeks ago. So talk to us about maybe just what the dimensions are of the quadrant and maybe how it came to be. Sure. So
2: the first Magic Quadrant did come out in two thousand twenty one. And we just released the new version as you mentioned. It's not me, it's me and a team, right? So myself, Doug Boucher, Debbie Bender and Elizabeth Beard, we kind of put together this this Magic Quadrant. And it is a months long endeavor where we really dig into the sales training market. And we're looking at all the vendors that we can find in the market and trying to identify who are the top, top tier of this market. So when you look at the MQ, there are 18 vendors in the Magic Quadrant. And we're looking for vendors that really have a global reach. We're looking for vendors that have a significant part of their sales training services are to participants outside North America. right? We're also looking Mm -hmm. for vendors that can scale to meet really large organizations. So they have to offer their training through certified delivery partners or contractors. They have to offer a train-the-trainer model. And they also obviously have to train with their own people too. We're not looking for vendors that are reselling other sales training, other people's sales training. People actually, we're looking for vendors that only sell their own sales training solutions. And we're looking for vendors that are of a certain size as well, right? So not looking for the single stakeholder sales training vendors we are looking at at much larger companies as well.
0: You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff.
1: And now I have a real curiosity question. So was it painstakingly difficult to identify the 18? <laughs> was it like, oh my God, there's 7,000. How do we bring this down? Or was it actually fairly easy? Well, once we defined the criteria, it became pretty simple.
2: We do like a pre-survey of, all, of a lot of vendors and kind of look at, you know, the things I just mentioned, and determine, are they going to qualify or not? And then once we have that pre-survey completed, um, it makes our our determination much easier. And then the next part is, well, all right, we've now picked the vendors that are going to be in the Magic Quadrant who qualify, right? Where do they sit in the Magic Quadrant? And that's a whole different process where we're going through and evaluating 90-some questions that each vendor fills out. We're looking at demos that they delivered, looking at customer feedback. It's a very involved process.
1: I think that's an interesting and important point. The elements you described are what defines the criteria for inclusion in the MQ, but what separates one set of firms from others and and constructs the the actual magic quadrant is a different set of things, right?
2: Exactly, yeah. So once they're chosen to be in the magic quadrant, um, we then evaluate them and determine where they're going to fit on the MQ. And we look at two different axes. The first one is their ability to execute. So we're looking at things like how well they can execute in terms of product or service, their overall viability, sales execution, marketing execution, how well they respond to the market, and what their track record is. We also look at their completeness of vision. And so completeness of vision would involve like, like what their marketing strategy entails, what their sales strategy entails, their vision for where they're going with, with their offering, innovations as well, and their vertical and industry strategy. So those two big buckets of ability to execute and completeness of vision really determine where they land in the magic quadrant.
1: That was awesome. So if I'm, a, if I'm a managing partner of a mid-sized or larger professional services firm, do you have any suggestions on like what should be some of my decision-making criteria? And I think you alluded to some of them in the MQ right there, but but just... What should I be thinking about if I'm looking for a training partner or a sales training partner? You know, what should be some of my priorities? Not necessarily which vendors, but like which which things should be, a, a, you know, my, my priority list? Yeah, that, that's
2: a great question. And we actually asked that in a survey of our clients. And what we found is that the number one thing that they looked for was ways to make their training stick right so we're looking at reinforcement yeah. tools assessments and different strategies that, that each vendor has to drive adoption of these new behaviors while having a, a savvy experienced sales professional come in who's going to be your trainer is exciting and, and fun that's greatly outweighed by can you make this stick so that's the number one number one criteria followed by can you customize this or in some cases tailor it to meet what I need? Right. So, you know, kind of getting away from the pulling the methodology off the shelf and teaching it from the way it's written, as opposed to, well, for your market, based on the diagnostics we've done for um, your company, we think that we can tweak this, this, and this. And oh, your sales process kind of has this weird bend to it. So we're going to accommodate that by teaching to that bend. So that's the second thing kind of how customized can you make this sales training for me and my team? And then the third thing is, how well you can integrate the curriculum and the resources into my technology and tools. So can we take the training that you're delivering and take those best practices that you're preaching and then integrate that with my CRM so that I can actually keep keep track of what's being taught and look for the right behaviors and then prompt the right tools and, and reinforcement training as needed based on things happening in my CRM. And then the last one's kind of almost tied with the, the second to last one was train the trainer options. So lots of people yeah. want to basically go and get up to speed on this, but then for the longer term engagement, maybe you've just done a big rollout of you know your whole sales team, but you have a class of 50 new hires coming in next quarter. Well, how do you get them up to speed? And so having a train the trainer option gives you more flexibility around that
3: too. I would think the train the trainer would also be valuable so you have in-house coaches that are making the training stick as well. Exactly right. Yeah. I want to revisit the the tailor part of that. Can you tailor this to my business, my industry? I think professional services firms see themselves mm-hmm. as unique, right? We're relationship type of sellers. We're trusted advisors. And I've noticed that there's really this splitting of hairs when it comes to training around is this insight selling is this solution selling is this a consultative sale i don't even know what the difference between those three are i could could guess but it sounds like marketing to me but but in terms of tailoring this type of training to a professional services firm what type of thing should they be thinking about as they Consider doing sales training for their rainmakers?
2: I think if I was a services firm looking at a, a sales training company, I'd really want to understand their approach and their methodology and making sure that it maps to be not the same as what I'm doing, because obviously I need some improvement, but that it can fit into what I'm doing. I don't want to rip and replace what my salespeople are doing today. I want someone to come in and kind of layer on top of it. Again, assuming that what I have isn't completely broken but just needs some improvement. So looking at how the vendor is gonna do that in terms of of integrating their best practices with my best practices would be a really key thing to do. And that involves, to your point, the tailoring and customization and really digging into what they consider customizing. And I, I'm using those terms, tailoring and customizing as two different terms because they really are, right? Customize is, is kind of building from scratch, Whereas tailoring is like, hey, here's our concept and we're going to tweak it and adjust it to better fit you, right? So I think that's that's really important to to look at. And then digging into the methodology as well. You'll find that the different sales methodologies have different pros and cons. Some may be more focused on the acquisition. Some may be more focused on the close. And so finding one that's balanced to meet your sales process most effectively is going to be valuable as well there.
3: That's a great point. It, these things are comprehensive, but every culture has its limitations in whatever form it's going to be, and taking the time to pick a training that syncs up with your your culture and in particularly, you know, that weakness that you're trying to fix. But but on the flip side, I guess that would be your strength, as you said, right? You assume something is, is working as well. So what complements the strength and and helps you Minimize the weakness.
2: Exactly. And, you know, in most cases, these sales training vendors are going to come in and do some sort of analysis of of the challenges that you have because you may be aware of challenge one, two, and three. They may come in and say, look, you know, yes, those are three challenges that are preventing you from growing as fast as you should be growing. But how about this other one, too? Have you considered this? Because they're looking at a much broader wheelbase of, of customers. Especially in the services side and can can maybe pinpoint certain things that others are doing differently or or opportunities for you to grow that you haven't considered yet either.
1: I have a little bit of a transitionary question. Transitional? Transitionary is not a word. Yeah, in transitionary and inculturate, man, Jeff, they, they, we're just inventing words as we go, man. <laughs> okay. So let's say I've made this decision. I'm gonna I'm going to invest in sales training as as a firm leader. How do I measure the impact of that? I mean, I know that the, the flippant answer is, well, did we close more business? But I think that's probably way too simplistic, right? So, like, what should they be thinking about in terms of measurement, in terms of saying, was this investment worth it to kind of go back to kind of Jeff's bipolar sales training mind?
2: Yeah, it's hard to measure. You know, it, it's very hard to measure because the, you know, if you look at it, like you mentioned, oh, our revenue grew or our pipeline increased. Well, we did sales training. So obviously, as a sales trainer, you'd say, well, I did that, (laughs) right? Of course. There's no way to, to, to draw that direct correlation. Instead, what's important, I think, is to think about the larger picture by getting more granular, if that makes sense. So the larger picture being, what is it we're trying to do? We're trying to get more new customers. Okay, I can't train you on how to get new customers. That's something you need to do on your own, more or less. But I can help you with certain behaviors. So, what behaviors are we trying to change? Because that's what sales in does. We change behaviors, we drive change in an organization. And so, by thinking through what those behaviors are that will drive us to get more new customers, well, I can train on those behaviors. So, we need to give better first pitches, we need to deliver better demos, and we need to, I'm not sure, let's call it a, you know, know this new product that's coming out. Well, I can train on the product. I can train and certify on the demo, and I can train and certify on that first pitch. Well, let's go with that then, right? And so if I go back to the sales leader and say, hey, if I can get your people to deliver better demos, deliver better first pitches, and I forgot what the third thing was, but do those three things, will that, do you think, get us more new customers? And if 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 those align, then he's going to say, yeah, of course cool. Well, let me track those three things. And then to track those three things, I'm going to go back and say, well, all right, I'm going to build this course and do this workshop and we'll do these communications on this timeline. And then we can drive the adoption of, of that training. And that training is going to then drive those behaviors. Those behaviors then should drive that ultimate goal. So that's kind of the thinking behind how to drive the impact of, of sales training.
1: I, I like that a lot. I, I drew it as a picture. I just drew an umbrella on my page. It's like, we're trying to get more customers. We do that by changing behaviors. I also, Jeff, almost want to dovetail with what Andy, Paul talked about. And then that was about mindsets, selling out versus selling in. And then also pair that with your comment that you made to me a, a couple of weeks ago where you said, well, Jason, you need to act your way, yourself into a new way of thinking. We were talking about something else offline. And just got me thinking, Shane, it's like, you're trying to change behaviors, which in turn will change mindsets, especially if you've got maybe limiting mindsets in the culture, selling out behaviors, as Andy would call them. So that's a great, really great answer, I think, in terms of how you think about ROI. So it doesn't become so simplistic and you go, well, revenue didn't go up. So obviously it failed. It's like, well, time out. Maybe it didn't fail. Maybe something else failed. Maybe the product failed. Maybe the service is flawed. <laughs> Maybe you misunderstood client needs. There's a million ways it could have failed exactly. so, or succeeded, I should say as well. I, I take the bad side, but the good side of succession or success. There we go again. I'm creating new words. So <laughs> Jeff, we're coming close up on time here. Probably we probably need to give Shane his day back. So what did we not ask that we should be asking that we forgot about? I know I have one, but you might have another. No, go right ahead. How does Gartner help? You know, I I think it's important for firm leaders to know, you know, in in the world of of sales training, sales enablement, how is Gartner a resource for folks right now?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, (laughs) funny story, when I was interviewing Gartner, I saw the job posting online I actually thought it was for sales enablement at Gartner. So enabling Gartner salespeople. And so it's halfway through the introductory interview, and she's like, do you realize this is for an analyst position where you're helping other people figure out how to – helping Gartner clients figure out how to enable their sellers? It's like, oh, that sounds really cool. I didn't know Gartner did that. <laughs> so, so just like Gartner has myself and my peers that cover sales enablement from a sales expertise perspective, we have other colleagues that cover sales operations and others that cover sales strategy and leadership. There's a team of people that cover sales execution and pipeline development, and then another team that covers revenue technology. So with all five of those areas of sales, we offer research so we write research papers like we did in college, but they're even better. And then we also offer advice you know in, in conversations with, with myself and with all my colleagues on certain challenges that you may come across. And it may be applying some of the research that you've read to your situation or helping you understand better what's going on with your sales team. And then on top of that, we also do diagnostics. So we have certain diagnostics that can assess how your sales organization is compared to Gartner best practices, like what its status is, and also different diagnostics that can help you compare your organization to other organizations, again, across all those different areas of Gartner's focus with the enablement, the operations, sales strategy, and so on. And on top of that, we're having this conference On May 17th and May 18th, it's Gartner's annual CSO conference. This year, it's virtual. So the great news for that is that even more people can attend, and they can see our keynote speeches. They can do breakout sessions with the analysts. And then some of our clients and prospects can even do one-on-one conversations with the analysts as well. So I'm really really looking forward to that that meeting that we have coming up in May.
1: Well, I'm going to throw a quick shout out. Thank you to Maria Bolden, who actually introduced us to you and has been such an influential thinker. And I just really, there's so much good research on selling coming out of Gartner right now. That's where I was leading to. And so many talented people like yourself taking that research into the marketplace with clarity to help us make sense, as Maria would say, make sense of what's going on. So- I can't thank you enough for joining us today, Jeff. I want to give you that last that last question. I always you know, why not always, but sometimes I give you the last question.
3: Do you have one? Well, no. I will. I've, I'll make a statement, and I'll say what Jason said as well. Shane, thank you for joining us. This was even better than I thought it was going to be because I thought, well, I'm going to get on with the Gartner people and prove to them that sales training has no roi boy do i feel stupid
1: <laughs> well you're used to that it should be fine i'm teasing because you always pot shot me all right so yeah. well thanks shane this was fabulous i really again thank you so much for joining us you're super insightful and very very helpful jeff
2: and jason thank you very much it's been a pleasure to get to spend time with you both today and i uh, really thank you for having me on your podcast
1: all right thank you see ya.
2: see you buddy